Hi fam, and welcome to a Sober Girls podcast. I'm your host, Sherry, and I have been sober for 11 years, and through that time have been through my own ups and downs, not only with staying sober, but also learning to live life on life's terms. If you are listening to this, then you have previously or are currently struggling and are ready to take certain steps to get better. Alcoholism has affected each of us differently, but we all have the same stories, what we used to be like, what happened, and what we are like now. You are ready to make a change in your life, and we are glad to have you here. This community is one of strength, commonality, and inclusion. The only way we stay sober is to help the suffering alcoholic and addict, and I am ready to take you on that journey with me. So let's get started. What's up, fam? I hope that you had an awesome weekend and a good start to the beginning of your week. I know that a lot of us have kids that have gone back to school recently within the past week, so I hope that everybody has been able to kind of get back into a little bit of a routine. We've gotten into a routine here, but now it's going to change next week because my son is actually starting dance next week. So we have a whole new routine to learn, and it's going to be another mess for a while. Needless to say, it's had a huge toll and it always does on my body and my mental health. Today, I was waiting for a work meeting to start and I was sitting on the couch and I fell asleep. (laughs) So I woke up to like a phone call and three text messages from my boss and I knew I should have just gone into the office today, but I was like, oh no, I can work from home. I travel tomorrow, so it'll be good. I need to be able to be home and caught up and relax and just kind of get some stuff done here at the house with no distractions and turns out I am a distraction myself. All by myself, I am a distraction. So needless to say, um, routine is something that is a little bit difficult for me to get into, uh, for me to kind of hobble my way around, I guess you could say, um, because I, I, I know we do this program one day at a time. Um, and so it's easier that way, right, to do things one day at a time, but when you have a life of family and work and you have to plan, sometimes (laughs) it's hard to do things one at a time. So for me, the things I can do one day at a time are pretty basic, you know, wake up, pray, meditate, the things I can do one day at a time, I do. And um, that definitely seems to help. But needless to say, I am really, really extremely tired. (laughs) Um, So I'm getting ready to go home tomorrow. And how crazy is it that we've been together a year? And I started this right before I went home last time. And my world kind of blew up last time I was home, right? Like this past year, we've talked about my sobriety and my journey. And that's kind of something that I really want to continue to hammer home on is that this is my journey with my sobriety. I don't expect my journey to match up with yours. But I do want you to feel like there are things that I say that resonate with you. I am considered an old timer. I was I've been, you know, sober for 12 years now, 12 and a half years, and I was brought up by old timers. So for me, the basics of the, the, um, of the program are very, very, uh, important to me. I don't subscribe to sober curious. I don't subscribe to a dry lifestyle. I don't subscribe to, you know, I just have to quit alcohol, but I can quit smoking weed. Like I, I am the epitome of like what, 
Bob, Dr. Bob and Bill came to um, do. So I am absolutely 110% an old timer. And I love that, you know, at 42 years old now, I love being an old timer. Um, because some of my old timers are shoot late, late seventies, mid eighties. And so that's really, that it's really kind of inspiring that, you know, they're still there. And that's something that I want to bring to the next group of, um, people who want to be sober. I am an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic in recovery. I am a recovered alcoholic. However, you choose to hear it and see it, but a lot of my emotional growth has really come up in this past season of being here with you guys. You guys have seen a complete change and transformation in me and for the better, really, truly for the better. And it's nothing to shake a stick at. I absolutely love that you get to see the side of me. I always tell people like I'm done sharing my life with them, basically. Like I... The, the most you need to know about me on a surface level is that I have a chronic illness condition that creeps up on me and I'm tired a lot. Outside of that, like, and I'm sober. Outside of that, like, my past is my past. You know, I'm not going to shut the door on it. I am not going to forget it, but I'm certainly done being that poster child for alcoholism. I'm done being that poster child for domestic abuse. I'm done being that poster child for a lot of different things. And since then, I've really been coming back into my own. And last time I went home a year ago, I was really nervous because I was really afraid that these people that I had considered friends were going to be family, you know, be close to. And I was afraid once I met them, I wouldn't fit in with them. Once I met them, I wouldn't get along with them. And there's a reason for that, right? Our gut instincts. And I know either last episode or a couple episodes ago, we talked about our gut instinct and how to always trust our gut instinct. When we see those red flags, <laughs> they're not a suggestion, people. Red flags are not a suggestion. It is not a flag football game to see how many red flags you can catch. It's definitely something that you need to go, whoa, wait. That is something that I should not encounter. That is something that I should not do and stay away from it. And I really think that part of my fear of going home last time was because it's not that my intentions weren't correct. It was that I felt like I was getting back the life that I was owed. And it turns out that God has been right this whole entire time because the life that I thought that I wanted and the life that I thought that I was owed absolutely is not at all what I want. <laughs> it's not even close to what I want. I now look at pictures of these people you know, from last year, if they pop up in my memories or whatever, instead of looking at them, I'm like happy or whatever in a happy place. I look at them and I go, oh my God, those people are so toxic and so fake. Like, I'm really not sure what I was thinking, you know, and I think when you really want something or you think you want something because it will fulfill you like drugs or alcohol or really shitty toxic females, or friends for guys in that matter because I know I have a lot of male listeners lately which is so awesome so thank you guys 
we can justify really just about anything, can't we? We can really justify all of our actions and we can really justify everything that we think we want to do. But when it comes down to it, if you were going to do the next right thing, and if you were honest with yourself and your sponsor, would you still do those things? Would you still be that person? Would you still want that in your life? And so as I go home, this is probably the first year, I'm not worried about triggers. I'm not worried about life and I'm not worried about people, places and things because you know I, I talked to you last week or the week before about your toolbox, two weeks ago about your toolbox and I really have all the things in my toolbox now that I need and for me I don't, I'm well aware of people, places and things, right? These are the things that really come up when we are dealing with the daily life stuff. And on page four, if you guys haven't read this, by the way, I'm highly going to suggest it in the big book. Um, I'm sure you can find it in a PDF online as well. But it is story number 16 in the big book, and it's on page 407, and the story is Acceptance Was the Answer. I know that I've glanced over this a time or two, just certain parts of it for um, previous podcasts, but in this one, uh, the reason that I wanted to bring this up was because I know we've talked about people, places, and things prior, right? But this part, when I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, or thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. And I just think about that and all the times that I've gone home trying to recreate my happiness, trying to recreate my life. And let me tell you, when I try and recreate my life, when I try and recreate my happiness, there is a lot of angst, anxiety, anger, frustration, tears, resentment, like I try to rebuild what I believe was stolen from me. And don't you think that a lot of people probably maybe in our situation or in home burglary situations or, you know, in situations where they've been violated feel like they want some part of themselves back. They want some part of an understanding of who they are and Unfortunately, trauma changes us. Unfortunately, the loss of a job or a spouse or a house or, you know, things along those lines, they change us. Those situations change us. So everything is exactly how it's supposed to be in that moment. And it's not necessarily for good or for bad. It's it's just what it is at that moment. Now, it could be a bad situation, it could be a good situation, but it is literally what it is. I mean, if I could get a tattoo across my forehead, it would probably say it is what it is because it's exactly how everything continues to pan out for us. And so when I'm getting ready to go home, um, some of the biggest things that I deal with really are 
dividing up my time because family is obviously very important to me, but so are friends because I have friends that are like family and I want to spend time with them. And so, you know, I realized that the only way that I can truly make all this time happen is probably by moving home, but that's not an option quite yet. So for now, you know, it's all about balance and it's about spending the time and making sure that we are in the right places with the right people and in the right situations. Because I think before when I would go home, I would avoid things like downtown where I was from originally, where I went to college. I would avoid places where I would go where I would recognize people because that's a big one, right? That's a that's a place and a person because who wants to run into an old drug dealer or who wants to run into someone that you slept with or who wants to like go upstairs to that bar and be like, oh yeah, that's a stall that I peeked at. Like, because when we do that, when we see those things, even if they're not triggers, we we remember those things and some of them are so vivid that they hurt still. They're still, the wounds are fresh. And the wounds are fresh because we haven't forgiven ourselves yet. The wounds are fresh because we haven't been able to truly say, I don't regret the past, but I am not going to shut the door to it. We don't really give ourselves an opportunity to heal from that. We worry about these other things first in, in our sobriety. At least for me, I did. I worried about my identity more than I worried about, you know, people, places, and things. And so now I'm going back and I am finding my old identity by being okay with these things, by having acceptance. And I was talking to a, a gal tonight that, of course, I met on Instagram, and I know you guys are judging me, but there's a community of us. If you ever want to find us, it's called Sober City Movement. And she and I were talking, and she's in Minneapolis, really awesome lady, and she's about my age, I believe, because we were talking about where we're from and things like that, and I said, well, I went to, you know, St. Cloud State. She's like, oh my God, so did my husband, and I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, what years were you there? And I was like, well, you know, I was explaining to her that I was an active addiction, and so, like, my career was, like, college career was, like, nine years, but I'm not a doctor. I do have two bachelors, though. So I was like, oh, what's your husband's name? And as soon as I text that, I was like, holy fuck, wait a minute. What if I don't want that answer? What if I slept with him? And so I text her back and I'm like, you know what? I said, I'm really sorry to say this to you. I said, but I'm really nervous. I said, because I was a major slut when I was in active addiction. And she's like, oh, don't worry, he was too. And I was like, oh God, now I have to know this guy, right? Like now I know for sure that I have fucked this new girl's husband. And oh my God, like how much more awkward could it get? Like, and I just conceded to the fact that we're just gonna have this in common, unfortunately. And she gave me his name and I was like, oh, no, I don't think I ever slept with with a guy that by that name, which is weird because it's a very common name. And she and I just both laughed. And I said, you know, I, she's like, oh, I don't worry about it. She's like, you know, I, I kind of have come to the idea that like before me or when we were drinking, like this is the life. This is things that have happened. These are things that we are going to have in our lives that people have done. And I, I, I laughed at it because here we are. 
meeting 12 years into sobriety for me. I, I don't know how long she's been sober. I don't believe it's been very long. I think it's been eight months for her. And so she's already seeing changes, and that's absolutely awesome. But she was able to calm me down and say, oh, my God, no, my husband was a huge whore. Don't worry about it. Like, if you slept with him, I'm not that worried about it. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, here I am spending 10 years of avoiding going downtown St. Cloud because I don't want to run into anybody, right? And not that I would anymore at this point. I mean, it's full of new college students. And I, I don't think people that I know are still there. I don't know. I went, but I went out of my way to avoid this. And now I just meet someone on Instagram from Minneapolis whose husband went to St. Cloud Skate. And it's very, very potential that I could have slept with him. <laughs> like, oh my God. It just, like, I, <laughs> when I tell you, like, people, places, and things, man, like, sometimes you just can't avoid them. And you had, it just showed me. It humbled me. It showed me that we are not in control of everything that we think we are. That we can do all the magic fun things to avoid people. But in reality, it's a very small world. I know that we have a bajillion fillion people on this planet. But I promise you, I promise you, it is a very small world. And so, you know, it's the first time I've actually opened up about my past and not even opened up about it just was able to say oh my god I slept with a lot of people and she laughed about it and she's like oh well you know my husband did too and wouldn't that be funny I'm like yeah it would be great if I slept with your husband like what so you know it really was humbling and it was really funny and the fact that she could laugh about it made me feel a lot better and I actually now have serenity about going home because you're right how funny would it be to, like, run into someone that you slept with? And, like, I am no longer that person that slept with you. I am no longer that person that I was back then. So, for me, it's, I don't know what I'm so scared of. I am successful. I own a foundation. I have my own podcast. I have a really awesome job. Things are going really well for me. So, you know, I work for a subsidiary of a baseball team. So, like... I don't think that running into anybody that I slept with at this point would really be anything I'm worried about. You know, I'm really not. <laughs> it's kind of funny now. All these things that we try to avoid because we are so embarrassed or refuse to heal because we're afraid they're going to trigger us. Because we haven't dealt with them properly, that's why they're a trigger. And God knows, God knows, your higher power knows that place and time when everything is appropriate. He knows when you are ready to heal. You know, you hear about the ninth step all the time and making amends to people, except for when to do so would injure them or others. And, you know, what if I had, like, dated or slept with her husband? Maybe I'd have a chance to make an amends to him then. You know, it, it, we were 20 years old, 22, 23 years old. Like, we were young. We were babies. Um, so, you know, maybe it's just God's timing to make an amends. But it wasn't that. It was God's timing to just let to show me, see, it's okay. I've got this. You have to start trusting me. Like, you can't go home and control everything. You have to be able to focus on yourself 
and what you can change and do with yourself. And I think just it really put things into perspective for me tonight. In the rest of the chapter, you know, it talks about how we used chemicals to ease our peace of mind. And now we don't we don't need that. And, you know, I was talking um, the other night and uh, talking to someone the other night. And we were talking about how, you know, there's the precursor to drinking. You know, there's the precursor to relapse and taking that first drink. And it's all mental, right? It's all in our minds. And we relapse in our minds before we relapse physically. And so for me, I am able to really understand that I have the capability to work through whatever I'm working through. I have the tools in my toolbox and I don't necessarily really worry about relapsing because I am not in that state of mind. I don't believe, and I won't know until I'm in that position, that I would relapse under peer pressure. I haven't. Um, I haven't felt the need to drink to fit in. I think that was the first time last year when I went home where, my God, these girls were fucking drunk all the time. Like, holy shit, they drank. That's all they do is drink. So for me, it was a matter of I if I were in this group, I would be the odd one out because I don't drink or I don't smoke weed. And even the sober one smokes weed. So she's, you know, like she's not really sober. So I think that the biggest part for me is that I really am finally okay with who I am. And that has been a long journey of self-discovery. This past weekend, I was looking upstairs for my son's ball glove because he's decided that he likes baseball again, which is fine with me. I don't really care. That's not the point. But I saw my camera, and I haven't touched my camera since my mentor died. And I was like, well, maybe I'll take it out and clean it up, you know, dust it off, get ready to sell it, what have you. Uh, And then I took it out, and I was looking at it, and started hearing the clicks and, you know, making sure that all the buttons worked and everything like that. And before that, I had taken a picture just to make sure it worked. And I was like, oh, no, the picture is not right. So I started making all the natural needed adjustments to the camera. And before I knew it, I was like, huh. And I started to really feel good about having the camera. I started to feel really comfortable having the camera. And that's something I haven't felt for a really long time because, when Neil died, a part of me died. And I think that's what happens in our sobriety too. When when we leave that old person behind, a part of us dies, right? And it can be any part of us. It can be the part that believed we were going to do something, the part that believed we, or we were in a high-powered career or we were a model or an actress, you know, we it, an actress or we had this huge family. You know, there's so many things that we leave behind an addiction that we want back in sobriety. And just like last week we talked about, the promises, they do come true. They do. If those are if those are the things that you want back and you want to continue to grow in those things, by all means, go for it. By all means, you know, hop back onto that stage or, you know, 
applied for that new CEO position. So, you know, it you you can have those things, but I'm telling you that it might take a little bit longer because there are things in our lives that have to happen before we can get to that place of serenity. And if we're not going to do what is not even expected of us, because I hate to say that because it states in the beginning of the big book that this is a suggestion, but I think we all know that without AA, without the big book, without the sober community, we would not be where we are. And maybe for some people, we just have to accept the fact that we are an alcoholic, or we have to accept the fact that our lives are not going to be like they were, or we have to accept the fact that that person's not coming back into our lives. There's so many different parts of acceptance of people, places, and things and situations that we have to go through until we understand that truly we are okay, that truly we have grown and we have that serenity. On page 417, it says, until I could accept my alcoholism, it says here, alcoholism, I could not stay say, say huh. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and my attitude. And I could not, you guys, if there's like a huge point that I wanted to make today, it's that we are the things that need to change. We need to be willing to make the growth and sacrifices and movements in order to be happy, joyous, and free. Shakespeare says, all the world's a stage and all the men are and men and women are merely players. He forgot to mention that we are own, our own chief critics, right? We are able to see the flaws in every person, every place, everything, or every situation. And we are able to point out everybody else's flaws because it's easier than accepting our own, right? And as long as we were seen as perfect and we could point out everybody else's flaws, then then we weren't the problem. And so having the capability to accept who we are and accept things for what they are, I think that's the first step in definitely finding that serenity in all those people, places, and things. You know, I still get pissy when I get cut off on the road, but I, like, I don't put myself in a situation, as we talk about, where I am going to um, cause an accident or a scene or things like that. So it's that emotional sobriety. It's that emotional growth. It's that it's that ability to let go of what I knew to try something new. Because if I didn't try something new in my life, in my sobriety, in my relationships... Um, in my job, in my career, then there was never going to be any peace and serenity. In fact, on page 418, it says that today I find it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. This proves I don't know what's good for me. If I don't know what's good for me, then I don't know what's good or bad for you or for anyone. So, if we were in a position that we couldn't even see what was good or bad for us, why are we criticizing anybody and everybody else? 
we really have to be willing to make those changes. We really have to be willing to make that growth because as people change, so do the situations and the jobs and the marriages and the kids and everything like that. So it's really important to make sure that when you are traveling, going home, going to a familiar place, that making a change is a good thing. That doing something different is a good thing because if you continue to try and force something, you're not going to be happy. If you continue to try and force having that same life, force having those same friendships, force having, you know, going to those same places and expecting to be okay, you're not going to be okay. And I really feel like that is something that I struggled with for a really long time. And I don't know if anybody else has. When I focus on the good things, the good things happen. When I focus on the bad things, the bad things happen. And that's totally, totally on me because situations are what they are. Now I can make something good with it and I can make something bad with it. And so I just choose to be happy. I choose that no matter what's being thrown my way, that I see the good in everything. And it's it's not easy, you guys. I've I've already told you this that like being perpetually happy is exhausting. Um being a positive person is frustrating because there are times that I really want to just hate people and not trust people and I can't. It you really have to fuck me over for me to really hate you or dislike you and that's only happened a couple of times, a handful of times in my life. And I can't expect when I go places, I can't say to someone, well, don't bring so-and-so, you know, because if that's their norm, then that's on me, right? I either have to buck up or I have to go and do something else. Um, Because if I put myself in that situation, then it's all on me. Whereas if someone knows and they say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm having this event, but so-and-so is not going to be there, feel free to come, then I'll, I'll, I'll probably, I might feel a little bit more comfortable. I still don't know if I'd go because people can change their minds and situations at the drop of a hat. And I appreciate, you know, the kindness and looking out for me. But at the same time, like if I put myself in that situation and I'm not ready to be in that situation yet, then, then that's fully on me. So... You know, it's really important, you guys, that you really think things through, that you really have an acceptance of who you are and what your situation is before you try and create a new one. Because when we try and cover up something and the old thing isn't dead yet, we're going to have a lot more problems moving forward. You know, we have to get to that place of working through those steps, working through those emotions for us to truly be okay and to put ourselves in the right situations with the right people. So I am really excited to uh, go home this week. I'm really excited to spend some time with a couple of people and my family. And um, yeah, it's going to be a really good weekend. I'm really, really excited. 
I hope that you guys have a really great week. I will definitely be back with another episode next week. I'm not going to take a break. There's no need to take a break. I'm going to be with family, so I can steal away an hour or two to get you guys an episode, an update, let you know how I'm doing. But I just really am thankful for the sober community. I'm really thankful for meeting everybody that I have online. I'm thankful for the people in my life. And I just pray that we continue to grow and get to know each other and be there for each other because that's what this world really needs right now is people that they can rely on. And I want to be that for you. The most important person is you, not me. And I want to be able to let you know that no matter what's going on, you've got someone in your corner. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for being here. I hope you have an amazing, amazing rest of your week. And I will see you guys next week. Until then, fam, be well. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of A Sober Girls Podcast. I hope that today's episode was something that you needed to hear today and can carry with you throughout the week until we get together next week. I really look forward to our time together and sharing my experience, strength, and hope so that you feel less alone and more empowered to keep taking it one day at a time. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter and on Instagram at a sober girls pod and on our website at a sober girls podcast There you can find episode specific content and contact information. You can also hear us on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Until next time, fam, be well.